I'm super excited this evening because I have a Texas music legend right here in the Crystal Vision studio. Hey everyone, it's Randy Halsey here, your host of Backstage Pass Radio. My guest today is a prolific Texas singer-songwriter that has made a wonderful career writing theme songs, hit songs, and winning countless awards for his efforts over the years. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to get into a much-anticipated conversation with the Texas troubadour, Shake Russell, when we come back. This is Backstage Pass Radio, the podcast that's designed for the music junkie with a thirst for musical knowledge. Hi, this is Adam Gordon, and I want to thank you all for joining us today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn alerts on for this and all upcoming podcasts. And now, here's your host of Backstage Pass Radio, Randy Halsey. Shake, welcome. Thank Good you, to see you. Thank you, Randy, for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate you and your lovely wife, Dee, being here today. I guess first things first for you guys, happy, I think it's belated 20th, 20th anniversary, anniversary. Thank uh, to you and Dee, so Thank congratulations. You. Thank you. 20, 20 years, that's almost an eternity, isn't it? Well. Close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm flying by. Yeah, Terry and I, I think, just made 33, 33 years, cool. so. She hadn't thrown me out yet, so that's a, that's a good thing. I wanted to take the listeners back to a western Missouri town of independence. What, what kind of stuff were you into as a kid in independence? Uh, music, you mean? Or just Growing up in general, yeah, sports, sports, sports up, music, whatever. Teenager, up, And music was my other passion. My buddy Larry Metzdorf lived in the neighborhood. He had a guitar, and I borrowed a bass from a friend, and... Uh, we found a drummer and started playing little sock hops and dances, you know, at school. Okay. And, and um, songs we heard on the radio, you know, we weren't writing our own songs. We were just learning how to play songs. And by playing them, we kind of learned how to how they were put together, you know, the choruses and two verses, a bridge and a chorus. And so it was um, it was a time of our learning. I was playing bass, like I said, with uh, Larry Metzdorf, and we went through several incarnations of bands and drummers and keyboard players, and until finally, when I graduated high school, I was playing a, a Christmas assembly at St. Mary's High School, and there was this young guy playing a, a song he had written for the Christmas assembly. His name was Dana Cooper, and I'd never met, I met Dana that day, and we talked backstage and swapped a couple old Beatles songs and decided we wanted to put a band, start writing songs together, and, and it's like he was seventeen, and I was eighteen. And we so we put a little band together, uh, and we play all these battle bands and all these kind of things around Kansas City and Independence. And finally, we did that, and then we gave kind of broke it up. And at that time, I, I met uh, well, both Dana and I were big fans of uh, a group called the Ewing Street Times, and they were from the leader of the group, John Vandiver, from Texas. At the time, we didn't know why their music sounded so different than everybody else. Everybody had uh, concerts in the park on Sundays. We even played their, our band. But it, these guys came out, Ewing Street Times, and played some old Jerry Jeff. We didn't know who Jerry Jeff was except for Bojangles, Michael Murphy songs, all these songs from Texas songwriters John was doing and making them his own. And they put on a show. They just didn't get up there and play a song. They they had routines, you know, a very entertaining group. And, they, and I was lucky. Both Dana and I just loved them, and everybody loved them because they were so different. And then I got the chance. They needed a bass player, and and I knew the guitar player in the band, the Ewing Street Times. And he said, 
come and audition. So I auditioned uh, with John and Michael, the bass player, for a few hours. Uh, learned all those songs from a little cassette they gave me of their concerts. I had my heart, third part harmony all worked out, and we we started. Uh, I got the gig, you know, because I could sing on pitch and play the bass sure. and drive all night. You know, so <laughs> I, I got I got the gig. And we played for a year, a couple of years around colleges all over the Midwest. Went down to the south, southeast, like uh, Georgia, Florida. Uh, spent a lot of time in that area playing colleges, and um, there were concerts. You know, before that, I'd been playing bands that we just played for dances. Nobody sure. was sitting there listening. Yep. These were concert kind of situations. So it was a big opportunity for me. And I was playing bass, and Vandiver was very encouraging. He had heard a couple of my songs I'd written. And one of them was deep in the West, that far back. Yeah. And he, he said, we got to put that in the show, you know. We got to put that one in. And a couple other ones, Hard to Find a Smile. And so I all of a sudden became a songwriter in the show besides being a bass player. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, one thing led to another to where finally after doing all this touring around the Midwest, John said, I'm going to go back to Texas. All my friends are down there. And if you want to come, you can come. I'd love for you to come, you know, play bass with me. And I wanted to get out of Missouri. So I... I joined the band. I went on down there with them. Gotcha. So it was the bass guitar that you started on. Yeah. Right. So the I guess the acoustic came later on for you. Yeah, it okay. did. I borrowed a friend's bass and I had my own. And you know, in school, I played trombone from nine years on all till I graduated. I was an orchestra and band, so I had the bass in my mind, bass clef, and and the bass parts in songs. We played on trombones usually. So when I started playing music at 13, 14, I got the bass. It seemed like a natural instrument for me to play because I like bass lines. Sure. And I was upside down, but I was I didn't know any better, really. I mean, I really didn't. Nobody said, hey, that's upside down. And it wasn't my guitar to turn around anyway, so I played it. And to me at that time, I thought the bass should big strings on the bottom, those skinny strings on the top. That seemed logical to me, so that's, I learned the, the neck that way on the bass. For several several years, I played the bass. Well, I played it on and on, but finally, after doing that for a while, my buddy had a guitar, of course, and I borrowed his guitar and just turned it upside down, following the same logic, and got me a Mel Bay chord book and started making simple chords like D, you know, A, mm-hmm. G, and those simple chords. The and, cowboy chords. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then went to take lessons finally, and then said, well, wait a minute, you need to turn that thing around, you know, because you're upside down. We can't <laughs> teach you that way. And, you know, I should have, but I didn't. And so here we are, 50 years later, I'm still playing it that way. That's that's interesting because I showed you a CD uh, when you got here. The, you, you signed the CD for me. Your, I think it was at the greatest... Yeah, it's collection, okay. And you had signed that back in 2006, and I think you were playing somewhere off of Highway Six. I can't, I don't remember what I did last weekend. Somewhere, that's exactly where it was. And I can remember being a guitarist myself, and I'm watching you play. This is the first time that I was ever exposed to your music, and I'm like, Good God Almighty, what is he playing on that guitar? (laughs) Like I couldn't, I couldn't figure out the chords that you know. I'm like, Is he? open tuned what what's going on here and then i didn't learn till later yeah. that i i didn't realize that the guitar was flipped upside yeah. down and yeah. you were playing it left-handed which threw me completely off as a guitar player yeah a lot of my players that play with, even michael hearn today won't look at my hands <laughs> he, <just> don't <laughs> he doesn't know what hands. key you're in by looking at you right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty cool yeah. you know and i one time i went off decades ago and left my guitar at home like a bonehead, and I got down to the gig, didn't have one, but 
because I played upside down, I could just grab somebody else's guitar. I grab your guitar and play it. Mm-hmm. No problem. And I didn't have to have a special lefty model, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it was beneficial that way. I didn't realize that your relationship with Dana goes all the way back to your child, your child, or yeah, like your childhood days for the most part. Mm -hmm. Right. I I didn't realize that relationship was back that far. And I think you, you said you, you left Missouri, you moved to Austin was the first stop. Well, Houston was the first stop. Houston was first. Uh, Sand Mountain of John Vandiver knew Miss Carrick that owned the place and ran the place. So she said, come on down, we'll give you, they had an apartment above the club, so two of us could stay up there, and, and John could stay with his relatives down here. So we had a place to stay, and we'd work, you know, five nights a week, and some nights there's hardly anybody there, but that was Mrs. Carrick. Yeah. But on the weekends, he'd get better. We did that for two or three weeks, maybe a month, and finally John made contact with his friends, uh, Michael Murphy and Jerry Jeff up in Austin, and so he, we went up that, migrated up to Austin okay. uh, seventy into 72, and just started playing around there. And that was the the band you mentioned was Ewing Street Times, That's correct? Street and Times. that was founded by John. Is yeah. that correct? Okay, yes. Yes. gotcha. And uh, I think you had left, maybe the whole band left, but, but speak to me about uh, you had left for a short run to, I think, Chicago, and then maybe New York yeah, was New in York. there somewhere. And uh, then you finally made your way back to Houston, I think somewhere around seventy five ish, and and right. hit the hit the yeah. scene. What drew you up to Chicago and to well, New York? After Union Street Times disbanded, we broke up. Vander said, "I'm gonna do my own thing." And Michael Maskus, who's the guitar player in Union Street Times, an old dear friend, he was from Chicago. He had taught up the old school of folk music in Chicago before he became part of the Union Street Times and left uh, Chicago. So he knew everybody. He knew uh, Steve Goodman, you know, and all the different mm-hmm. clubs that everybody played. So he took me around, introduced me to people. And um, a story I tell that when I was in Chicago, I went to see uh, Elizabeth Cotton was playing at the old school of folk music. She plays upside down and backwards. Oh, does she? Just like I do. So Michael dragged me backstage and made me play a song for her. And she was back there getting ready to go on, but she very kind and he goes, uh, Miss Cotton, this is, he wants he play one of his songs for you. He plays just like you do. And she sat there and listened to me, played my song, Hard to Find a Smile. And afterwards, she's had a big old smile on her face. Says, That's very sweet. That's very sweet. And very, you know, just like somebody's grandmother talking sure, to yeah. you. And then we excuse ourselves and leave and go out front for the concert. And then she gets up on stage. She's a grandma backstage, you know. And she gets on stage and she starts just, there's a light around her. And she's just finger-picking away and just... Lost in the, the zone, you know. Okay, yeah. It was amazing. Wow. So I was Chicago, and, and I put a band together, a bunch of great musicians, the Chicago band, and we wrote a couple of songs. And I brought them back to, to Austin because I had a friend who was trying to get me a record deal, and I wanted them to hear this band. I'd send them some tapes. and said, well, bring them down. We'll book some shows. So we really did that for about six months, and nothing happened, so the band went back to Chicago, and I went up to New York. Okay. At that time, I had a bunch of tapes under my arms, and I... The guy, Jay Podonic, Jay Aaron now, he was the head of studio in Austin. He was trying to get the Union Street Times a record deal. And when that broke up, the man broke up, he st- kept trying to get me a deal on my own. So he, he went to New York. We went together up there and made all the rounds to management and trying to get a management deal, you know, playing on the streets, doing open mic nights, everything like that mm-hmm. in the, the village. And 
seen a lot of cool people, you know, up in New York, uh, musicians, you know, Bob Dylan and all okay. these guys were hanging around, Patty Smith. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so from there, uh, nothing happened. So I, was, I went back home to lick my wounds, and then all of a sudden, I Vandiver called me and said, man, you know, I'm in Houston, he says, and there's a bunch of hot pickers, I'm, people, don't, you can put a band together down here, you know, you come down and play some bass with me for a while and, and uh, meet Michael Marcoulier, Danny Everett, a bunch of folks who were hanging around, and we, it happened, we came down and started putting bands together, as about 76. Okay, you know. now you, you had mentioned Steve Goodman, he yeah. wrote uh, City of New Orleans, yeah. wasn't that one of his tunes yeah. that he did? great songwriter himself yeah now i think you started to get some local play in houston there was some live recordings that were done on a a very well-known radio station here klol that's right rock 101 yeah talk to us a little bit about the 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 show and being on the show that kind of thing and how that was a springboard of some kind for you certainly was i mean when i came back here for a while houston now i hooked up with dana um, my buddy from Independence, he was out in California trying to, he had a record deal, went south, so he's going back to school to get back, get out of music, and went out to visit with him and said, man, I got some stuff happening in Houston, you ought to come down here and just hang out, I'm doing some of your songs, and, uh, you know, we could maybe put a band together. So he came down, and we went on 101, and did a, a little mini concert, three-song concert live in the studios of these new songs we had just written. I'd written You Got a Lover. He'd written songs on the radio, and we'd written When Are You Coming Home Together. So we played those songs on the radio, and, and people just started you know, calling me off the charts with the, how popular it was. They are saying, who are these guys? So that led us to meeting uh, Bruce Bryan out of Channel 2, Ron Stone, and they did articles on it, interviews with us, you know, to get us on TV and sure. out in the public eye. So that really was a big help. And, and then that led to, like, Bob Claypool, Dell Adams, and the music critics for the Post and the Chronicle. They were big allies. They loved what we were doing, wrote up great things. Uh, and finally, we said, our manager, John Moss at the time, he he was a manager at uh, Theodore's. His client. He decided to manage me and Vandiver and Michael Marcoulier and, and Danny Everett. He started his own little company called Pop Belly. And so for a while, he was managing us. And, and he said, you want to put an album out, you know? Uh, you're popular now with this 101 thing going on. And um, so let's do a 45 first and just test the waters and see if anybody responds. So we put out a little 45 with a song called Two Silver Hearts and Temper Temper, you know. And it got, it sold well and, you know, it got a little airplay. So, that, so then we went back in and we took some of the things we'd already recorded, three or four of them that were recorded up in Austin. And then we recorded some other stuff out at the Houston Sound, I believe it was the guy's name now uh to add to it so we had a whole album and we put it out and uh, we had a local company put it out for us cherry records and uh and the thing just took off i mean we sold ten thousand copies in a couple of weeks and that was pretty good for a local nobody you know sure and and i got the attention of um billboard they had a little area for southwest happenings you know and they talked about the band selling all these records who are they and and that Gary P. Nunn, who was a good friend from the Austin days, he said, you know, Shake, I want to do a record with you. So he took me up to Austin, introduced me to some people uh, that handled Jerry Jeff and Joe Ely and, and, and said, you know, you need to, I want to do a record with Shake Russell. And 
at that time, uh, Dana had arrived, and so I said, well, it needs to be uh, Shake Russell, Dana Cooper, not just Shake Russell. So we, we started doing a record. They kind of pushed Gary P. out of the picture, these people that were, I won't mention names, but they took over producing it. And after we got it produced, it was a great experience. They, they went out and got a, a dist- distribution deal with MCA Records. That took off, so about 50,000 copies. And uh, it was encouraging, you know, things yeah. were going sure. in the right direction for us. So I know that before, you know, we kind of hit the record button, I, th- I, I told you that I thought that that was kind of an interesting, interesting that you and Dana played on 101 because that's more of a harder rock format. Mm-hmm. And, and you told me, you know, yeah. a, a different show that they had on Sundays. Talk to the Country. listeners a little bit about it's that. called Country Sunday. Bart Hamill was one of the disc jockeys that had the show. And he would play, you know, some people that had already been signed, like Rusty Weir and B.W. Stevenson. But if you had a good sounding tape, they would play it for you. Okay. And we were getting kind of promotion from different places, you know, if, uh, by word of mouth and by them being on TV and, and having good reviews. So they put a couple of my songs on there, our songs, mine and Dana's. And I think popularity just started growing, you know, and it was a natural kind of thing. Wow. So, but you know, and that's why that's what led to the Gary P coming and saying, "Let's do a record together," and uh, hoping that was going to be the springboard. Yeah, and you know, business is what it is. Well, he's he's been around a long time, Gary P. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I saw him at uh, play the Cypress Saloon, uh, which is now Creekwood Grill, which is one of the places I, yeah, that I, I play all the play time. Too, yeah. yeah, so it's a uh, interesting because sometimes I do some storytelling in my shows. And, you know, we'll do old songs by like the Bellamy Brothers or something. And I say that, you know, this very stage has been graced with the, the Shake Russells and, uh, you know, the, the Bellamy Brothers and that type yeah. of thing. It's, it's pretty. AP's played there too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw him there. He's turning a lot. Yeah. Lot of stuff. Now, you spoke earlier about uh, your bandmate, John Vandiver, which was kind of the, the reason that you ever came to. To Houston yeah, uh, initially, Texas, um, yeah. I believe that John passed somewhere back around 1985. But you had an album called "Time Spent," and I think you had a handful of songs on that release uh, that were in John's memory. If mm-hmm. if I have my facts correct, can you talk a little bit about some of those songs that you had written? Well, yeah, for one, you know, uh, with John. You know, he was like my older brother, and I, I was lucky enough to meet him. And uh, same way with Dana, but, but John was, he was uh, admired by a lot of musicians. I'm like, all oh, these, Murphy and all these guys loved John because he was just a, a unique individual. He was, he was as Texas as unique as Towns or Stevie Ray or any of the big names, Willie. I mean, he was, John was unique. I don't know if you ever saw him play or not. No, I didn't. He was a one man show, you know, and I played with him for 15 years. And uh, he's like a brother to me. And then in 85, he, he and his wife were robbed in their homes and murdered, you know. And uh, they caught the guys finally about a year out. They're all still in jail. Well, two, two of them are still in jail. But it was a tragic. It blew everybody's mind, you know. No, all the musicians didn't know who would do, do something like the John. He was such a kind person and, and just full of life and, and love and music. But they... It met, met this horrible end. So afterwards, I, I put a record out, and I, I wrote a song called True Love for John and Debbie because they were both been together and, and were murdered t- together. It was a love song to them. And then I wrote another song. There was a song that I had to write just because uh, I was so uh, disturbed that 
people were getting the wrong idea about John from the newspapers and and one night I was at, playing at Wunchy Brothers out and this uh, college kids were at the bar and Herb said, talking about the, the story was in the newspapers at that time quite a bit, John's trial, the trial was going on for John's murderers and Debbie's. So it was a topic that people were talking about and somebody, college kids said, yeah, some uh, dealer that got killed, you know, in his home and um, blah, blah, oh, blah. Wow. And I said, you don't know anything about who he was and mm-hmm. so I said I'm gonna write a song you know and and get the essence of John and John was an outlaw you know like Willie Whalen all those guys too many laws in the books for them mm-hmm. they would never harm a fly you know uh they were they played music you know and so anyway John was just of that ilk and uh and, and you know I just um had to write a song so I was we did an album together uh coming home me and John, Dana Cooper, and uh, Michael Marcoulier, and we had investors and um, had to put our real names and social security numbers on the line, dotted line, and everybody did except John. He wrote down Angus Mustang. That was his. That was his uh, alias, you know. Okay. And he was he was Angus Mustang. He you know he he gave me a little uh, out there. He said, "Oh yeah, you know, another lifetime. They chased us out of Dodge City. You know, he was self proclaimed. You know, kind of I'm an outlaw." Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write that in a song because uh, he used to say there's a difference between an outlaw and a criminal. You know, an outlaw just thinks there's too many laws in the books and they wouldn't hurt anybody, uh, mind their own business. And then the criminals are the ones that killed John and Debbie that mm-hmm. needed money. and, and care, needed, care less they, about people's lives, right? Yeah. So John always said that. So I worked all these things into the song and called it the Battle of Angus Mustang. So those two songs came from, from John and Debbie for them. Yeah. You know, you hear about that kind of stuff happening on the news all the time, botched robberies and things like that, but Home you inclusions. don't you don't ever you don't ever think a whole lot about it until it hits home. Like yeah. uh, you know you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're one of the unfortunate people that knew somebody that was involved in that. But some good songs came out of uh did. uh their tragic loss for I, sure. You know, I still carry them in my heart, uh, both of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the time of the time spent record, I think you and Dana had parted ways yeah, by that time, and you were engaged with Jack Saunders. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he with you at the time of the time spent um, yeah, record? On, I, I just want to make sure too. I had my my facts or my yeah. my timelines in, in line there. You're, really, you're doing well. Oh, you? Thanks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm passing the passing so far. You got it. And then when Jack Saunders was with you, you guys were known as the Shake Russell Band at that yeah, time. Yeah, we had a band right? then before we became just a duo. Uh, myself, Jack, Rusty Burns from Point Blank. He played guitar upside down also. Like the rock band Point, yeah, Blank? Point Blank? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I had no the, idea. The band broken up and mutual friends put us together. And you know, having Rusty in my band was like having a big dog on a small leash because yeah. he could tear it up on guitar. Man. I mean, he was like, he is upside down, but he could play that thing all over the. You'd never know it. Wow! And he used to always say, "Don't tell anybody, but it's easier playing lead upside down." <laughs> you know, I'll never know, but he it was pretty cool. I had he, I had no idea. I had he no was idea. in the band, and then uh, he brought his drummer down from Point Blank, Buzzy Grun. Buzzy became the drummer for our group. Riley Osborne played keyboards. He was a great keyboard player. He's passed. So that was the band, and we were like we became a southern rock band with Point. Wank's input, you know. Yeah. And it was cool. It was a different thing. And uh, we did that for 
through the 80s, since after he joined up where John died, uh, Rusty did and Buzzy, and we played together as a band till 1990. But the band broke up, people went in different directions, and Jack and I started doing a duo. Okay. Just two acoustic guitars instead of a full band mm-hmm. and writing songs together. And okay. Jackson I means great player. I don't know if you know Jack or not. Sure. I don't know him personally, but of course I've heard a lot of y'all stuff Very that you've tasty done. player. Yeah. He's a good songwriter. That's interesting. I've, I've got several vinyl records of Point Blank in there. And they, well, one of my favorite songs of all time is a, a song called Nicole. Nicole that they did. Big, I yeah. love that song. Yeah. And uh, what a small world. That's, that's what I love about these interviews is that yeah. you find out little trinkets of information yeah. that is really really cool they're they're worth their weight in, in gold i think if we fast forward a little bit somewhere around 88 you met a kid out of katy texas who used to open some shows for you and the world would later get to know him as clint black right yeah yeah, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about uh how you and clint met up before yeah. his I guess yeah, his rise, rise to his rise. in stardom or to stardom. You bet, you bet, big time. Yeah, I was. A, I always tell the story at my show. Sometimes when I introduce, put yourself in my shoes. I, that uh, I was in uh, South Paul Guitars over in Bel Air on a Saturday morning buying strings, and these kids were all playing guitars and all these rock and roll songs. And all of a sudden, I heard "You Got a Lover" coming through all of it. You know, I looked over, and this kid was sitting on a windowsill there, and. He, a black t-shirt and he started he's playing you got a lover he looks at him with a big old grin on his face he says i bet you know that one don't you so he knew yeah. who you were then yeah right. he okay. did and so i started playing but that's that was my first time i ever laid eyes on him and we, he said you know i want to come out and i'm playing my brother's band i want to come out and um open some shows if i could so we went out my manager and i at the time went out to hear him play with his brother and he was playing harmonica and bass guitar mainly mm-hmm so we said, yeah, come on out and do a solo thing in front of us. He did, and, you know, he, he wasn't writing his own songs yet, but he was doing all these, like, Steamroller Blues by James Taylor. Taylor yeah. Whatever, a Cody Chrome, whatever song he was doing, he made it his own, was singing his rear off, you know. And, you know, it was got to be where he would finish his last song, and people go, okay, ladies and gentlemen, shake us, we'll be right up. And the people go, we want to hear Clint. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. No, but you know, I'm, during that period though, uh, we traveled together playing gigs, and we'd write songs. You know, we wrote "Put Yourself in My Shoes" and "One More Payment," and wrote about a dozen songs, and he recorded a half dozen of them once he got his big yeah. break. You know, uh-huh. I think that's so cool, and I, I I don't know that a lot of people think about the songwriters like they do the artists that go out and play the songs. Right. They're kind of the unsung heroes behind the scenes. But I had a, a gentleman named Tony Hazelden. He uh, was in a band, uh, a Louisiana Music Hall of Fame band called LaRue. Okay. And he went to Nashville and he wrote for 30 years in Nashville. And he wrote some number one songs for Keith Whitley and George Strait, Reba. I mean, kind of the list goes on and on and on. And you never, you know, you, you never put the correlation between the songwriter to the artist everybody a lot of times just think that those guys are writing their songs and they do write Some a lot do, of their yeah. own stuff right the uh, sometimes are written by absolutely you know you had uh who was it don schlitz and paul oh, overstreet that wrote the, tons of stuff for george Strait. and well, didn't they write forever and ever amen yeah One of them did. yeah they wrote a lot of stuff yeah. for george but it's cool because i i can guarantee you that the listeners right now when you talk about songs like put yourself in my shoes 
probably have no idea, you know, that they're listening to an interview with Shake Russell, the guy that wrote that song for Clint Black. Well, which is interesting. We co-wrote. Okay. Yeah. And who was the co-writer? Okay. You guys wrote it yeah, together. Wrote okay. Gotcha. A bunch of songs together while we were traveling together there. Okay. And so. I know that he had two, he might have more siblings, but I know Brian and Kevin, Kevin. were, were musicians around town for yes. a long time. Are they still active in the music yeah, scene are. or? Yeah. I saw like, Brian maybe last year. We did a, private party together he, okay so i saw him and i kevin i see occasionally and uh yeah too when we first met clint or when i first went to hear him audition not audition but play he was playing in kevin's band he was just playing bass and harmonica. yeah sure yeah i used to see their names around marquees stuff like that but i haven't seen them in a long time and you know of course i'm not out and i of course i'm a local musician but you know, I'm not out in these venues every weekend or anything. Yeah. So I, they may be more prominent and playing a lot more than I even thought they did. But yeah. um, they stay busy in their own pursuits, you know, uh, in their lives besides music. But neither one made it to the extent of Clint, of course, you know. Yeah, sure. Got that big break. But they're still out doing it. And um, so. The big brothers usually hate it when the little brothers <laughs> outdo them. I'm sure, right? <laughs> but but I'm sure they're very proud of uh, oh, yeah. very proud of Clint. And I think what is Clint and Lisa in Nashville these days? Or are they in they're, Katy? They're not in Katy now. No, no, right? no. Okay, no. Are the are the is the family still out in the Katy area though? I don't know if they're st- still alive. Okay, as far okay. as the, the mom and dad. Okay, you know. gotcha. But uh, yeah. Okay, so Clint went on to have a really huge hit. That, that you guys, you mentioned, you, you guys had co-written together. And I was wondering if maybe you could uh, tune up that guitar a little bit and maybe play Put Yourself in My Shoes. I sure could. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Here's a Put Yourself in My Shoes. A one, two, Your mind is made up, you won't even try You didn't even cry this time You and I can never see eye to eye One of us just must be blind We've had our memories, we're still the same See what we want to see Take a second look at me, but things wouldn't seem the same See just what you mean to me Put yourself in my shoes Now walk a mile, walk a while for me I put myself in your shoes Maybe then you'd see If you put yourself in my shoes You would have some sympathy if I get on and put myself your shoes, walk right back to me. You're gonna keep walking, you're gonna pass me by. You say you don't even care, and I can recognize. And I know your heart's not there We've had our memories, we're still the same 
hear what we want to hear. Hell of the hills and the lots of valley to the crying shame. I thought we made perfect pairs. Could put yourself in my shoes. Now walk a mile, walk a while for me. Put myself in your shoes. Maybe then you'd see If you put yourself in my shoes You'd have some sympathy If I could only put myself in your shoes Walk right back to me If I could only put myself in your shoes I'd walk right back to me I'd walk right back to me I'd walk right back to me Put yourself in my shoes that was great, Shake. Thanks for uh, Thank sharing that. What a what a treat. And talk to me a little bit about how far up the charts that song went for well, Clint. Did it go all the way? Uh, not on Billboard. Number two. Number two. Yeah, number two also. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into a little conversation about that number two business. But uh, now, Shake Russell Band broke up, and you paired up as a duo with Jack for mm-hmm. a run of five, six years yeah. and released about five albums yeah, together yeah, right we yes we did and then after you and jack wrapped after that six-ish year run you formed the shake russell trio with mike roberts on bass and doug floyd on mandolin that's quite a bit later yeah jack and i broke up our duo around 75 i mean no, i'm sorry 85 okay no wait a minute. Deck in my hand. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Ninety five. Ninety five. Okay. Now we're in the right deck. <laughs> yeah, we are. Okay. And then uh that's when I I started I went off I went up to Nashville, did some writing, and I hooked up with Dana again and we started doing shows together, just the two of us. For a few years there we were doing that. And that ran its course and uh we put a record out together at that point called uh At Light at Love's Bright Campaign is the name of the album. And it was a fun one to make with just Dana and I doing everything on it, having fun. And uh, the, after, actually, after we ran this chorus, I, I was kind of looking around. I, we moved to Austin, and uh, I, I ran into my old friend, Mike Roberts, who played bass player, who had played with me back in the early 80s in, in the, one of my incarnation bands, you know. Uh, so he was up there living and came out to some gigs and said, hey, I'll play bass with you if you want. So like, yeah, come on. And then Doug Floyd, a great mandolin player, and he was hanging out to us and started playing with me. So we had that little trio. And I don't know how long, 10 years maybe or so, we had that trio. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We did several albums together, uh, won some awards in, here in Texas, you know, for a uh, vocal group. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I was going to ask you where you found Mike and Doug, uh, but I guess Mike had previously played yeah, he with played you me. before. I, I knew Doug. For, he played with Rusty Weir for a while. And okay, I, I, I didn't know him. that. Okay, yeah, I met him then, and then once I got to Austin, we kind of hooked up, and he wanted to play. Where uh, were, were both of these guys native Houstonian type of guys, or where, where no, did you no, meet, run Austin into Austin, kind of Austin guys? Austin guys yeah. Okay, and are they 
Are they local here now, or are they back in Austin? Uh, uh, Mike Roberts is in Bastrop. Okay. We played yesterday out at uh, Bernhardt's together. Oh, cool. Winery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's in Bastrop. Doug's up in, uh, out towards Pooties and all that. I forget what they call that area. Out by Willie's Golf Course and everything. Not Round Rock, huh? Not Round Rock. I forget, okay. I forget what they call it. Okay. He's up in the, the hill country. Okay. Playing with other people, right? Are you current with Mike right now at all? With who? Mike. Mike Roberts? Yeah. Well, yesterday we played. You know, occasionally we, when we need a bass player, we bring him into the, okay. the, the show. Sometimes we play places where the, uh, we're just doing a duo or something. We don't. But, yeah, he's still in the, he's still our bass player. Okay. Okay. Doug moved on to other, other things, but we kind of hooked up with Michael Hearn. Yes. Know. Share with the listeners where the relationship with Michael Hearn began and where, where did you meet Michael and uh, what, what was kind of the background with him? I met Michael back, you know, and uh, when we first came down to Texas in the 70s, we were playing uh, up in Dallas. He's from Dallas. And we were playing uh, the Ruby Yacht, which was an old folk club everybody played, kind of like Anderson Fair. Everybody that came through, there was a singer-songwriter played there. And he was playing, he was a young guitarist just out of school, he would come to the shows, hang out, and he started playing with Murphy, you know, Michael Murphy. We toured with him for a while, and so I'd, I'd, we'd cross paths. Uh, we did a show with Union Street Times, opened up for Murphy, and and uh, Michael was there. So I, we reconnected, and time goes by, and then finally, well, before Jack and I, because Jack and I were playing together, he invited us to come up to, uh, he's, he lived at, uh, in Taos mm-hmm. at the time. Yep. And uh, so he said, come up here. You know, he has a band called South by Southwest, very popular dance band. He's very popular up there. Uh, so when I went up there, he'd been doing my songs for a few years, Deep in the West, some of the older ones. You got to love her. And uh, so people knew my songs. I went up there, I blew my mind, you know, because Jack and I went up there just to duo and opened up for South by Southwest for several gigs. And Michael and I started writing songs together, and Jack, too, all three of us. We renewed that uh, friendship and, and, and a much bigger way. And he would come to Texas, and my band would back him up, uh, Michael Hearn, you know. Mm-hmm. So we were doing this exchange thing, and and uh, I just got to know him better. And we started, and I've known him now, gosh, almost 40 years. And we started playing together just off and on, back and forth. And finally he said, I'm going to come to Texas and play more. So I said, well, come on down. You know, let's put a little, you and I and Doug and Mike will do a little quartet. We did that for a few years before Doug left, and then. But after Doug left, we still kept Michael kept coming down, playing with me and Mike Roberts, you know, and writing songs together even more. So it's evolved, and, and then mm-hmm. uh, I'm jumping ahead here, but but Michael has his own uh, festival called Michael Hearn's Big Barn Dance. Okay, this will be his 20th year of doing it, and I, when he first started, he would have me come out and play it. He brought all these songwriters up, and we'd do song swaps. Like you were talking a while ago, it'd be people now, I mean, 20 years later, we hear some guy up there playing Peaceful, Easy Feeling. Mm-hmm. It's Jack Temptian, you know, it's, it's not the Eagles. And, and people go, he wrote that song? I thought the Eagles wrote that song. <laughs> you know, it's like the songwriter sure. kind of misses out sometimes. Yes. Because the, the big stars are, I thought Alabama wrote that. No, this guy. So Michael brings all these kind of unknown but well-known songwriters absolutely you know to, and he's got Roddy Crow coming up this year and, and Gary P always does it Dale Watson all kinds of music you know they have it's a barn dance so part of it's a concert for three days with people 2,000 people sat there under a tent nice PA and listen to shows from noon until 
10 or so, just different sets of music, all kinds of stuff, you know, and the good stuff, and kind of like Kerrville, but mm-hmm. but even better, I think, the people he brings in. Um, it's like this. It, I met him, and I started doing that every year. I missed a couple of years. And over the years, we've just, and him coming down here and playing, we played together, like I say, time's flying. When we did, put that quartet together with Mike and Doug and I, I was like maybe 2010, and, you know, we and we played together, we are still playing together, mm-hmm. you know, Michael and I. Sure. Played yesterday together. That's a, well, first of all, I don't know how you keep all these dates straight in your head because I, I'm the most horrible date person in the <laughs> world. So if somebody says, what were you doing in 77? Uh, yeah. I'm like, I have no idea what I was doing in 77. <laughs> so kudos to you for remembering all these dates. But I was going to say that I didn't realize that that Michael and both Michaels, Michael Murphy and uh, Michael Hearn were associated, but I guess it makes sense because they're both New Mexico guys, right? Yeah, yeah he is, they both are now. In Austin days too, when uh, the Cosmic Cowboys, uh, they were all playing. Well, back in those days, that's when Gary P and Bob Livingston mm-hmm. and John Inman were all the Gonzo Band, and they were backing up Jerry Jeff and uh, Murphy. Yeah, well, uh, b- both Michaels are amazing songwriters and i and i think that michael murphy probably is right up there with one of my favorite of all time uh songwriters i've I've listened to him for many years and uh written some great songs for sure yeah for for sure and still has a magnificent voice i know that you you and michael hearn had written quite a bit together and i was wondering if maybe you could share a song that that maybe you and and michael had yeah, together. A, a song we wrote together called The Girl Just Loves to Dance. And it was brought about by, you know, for the barn dance because everybody dances up there. They love to dance. Yes. You know, wow. give them a band and they're dancing. But, and Michael was saying that they'd play a club there, the old sagebrush. And this young woman would come in and the first of the show and sit there and just start dancing from the first song with a different partner just about every song. She wasn't looking for a husband or a boyfriend. She just loved to dance, and she was there to dance. So that's, that's what inspired the song, sparked the song for Michael. He told me about it, and he and I and Jimmy Stadler wrote the song. Jimmy's a tremendous musician from up in Taos that plays with Michael's band, South by Southwest. Okay. He plays everything, keyboard, mandolin, guitar, you know, writes too. But we wrote Amazing. The, three of us wrote this song together. Awesome. So well, without further ado, right? I give the listeners... Shake Russell right. and the girl just loves to dance, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Happy to. The girl just loves to dance. She stayed at home. Hold the tie 
tries He's not in her plans You see the girl Just loves to dance She just lost inside the feeling When the music starts to play When she's dancing on her cat just slip away For the moment nothing matters She's got everything she needs It's easy to see The girl just loves to dance mm -hmm. Yes she does Thank you so much for sharing that song, uh, Shake. I uh, the song first of all has an amazing hook to it, and I I guess I heard it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and it was um, a, I guess a show that you and Michael had played at the Centrum is where is where I heard it. So I'm glad that you chose that one because it was one that instantly resonated with me when I heard it for the first time. Thank you. Normally. When I interview a guest, I, I like to get into the details of the discography. I don't think I can do this with you because we'll be sitting here until this time next year talking <laughs> about this. But nonetheless, what a song catalog. Well over 30 albums, right? Yes. Do you know how many off the well, top of your I, head? I counted last year, so it was, it was 30, but was it a 30? couple of them were okay. compilations, so I don't know if they really count. But that, you know. Okay. Yeah. When you write that many songs 
you're very prolific. When you write that many songs, does a songwriter or you specifically, do you ever start to think or feel like some of the songs sound like other songs that I've written or other songs of somebody else? No, that you, that you've written, like you, you get down a path with maybe writing a song. You're like, well, wait a minute. That one sounds a little bit like the the other, because they kind of start overlapping. Is that a a real thing for songwriters? Yeah, it is probably a couple of times I've had that happen where I think that sounds a little bit like that other song. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Right all the time. But I mainly write, you know, just have songs to play live. Yeah. New songs. Sure. You know? Yeah. And to have a new uh, CD out, <laughs> 10 new songs, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. I'm going to assume the answer, but I'm not going to, ass- I think I know the answer. I'm not going to assume it. But songwriting, does it come easy for you? Or is it something that sometimes you get a writer's block and you even struggle with? Oh, yeah. You bet you. But it, it comes easy. Well, it's, it's a passion for me. You know, I, I love, I've been doing this since I was 16. I started writing my first songs and they really, were very good. Mm-hmm. It sounded like some very uh, derivative of somebody else. You know, like that's a Beatles song there. Okay, or, uh, Birds, or you know, uh-huh, sure. It's something I love to do, and I I'm glad I've been able to do it for 50 years. That people still come out want to hear my next song or whatever my old songs. You know, it's just I love put. It's like putting a puzzle together for me when I'm working on a song, and, and I work on I work on the, mainly the words are the hardest part for me, and I'll edit and re-edit those things quite often. But I, when I get it finished, I love it. I feel like the puzzle's been put together, and I, I'll try it out to an audience. And, you know, I've got that luxury of having an audience that's yes. a sounding board to say, I don't like that song. Or, that's really cool. You're talking about D, aren't you, uh-huh. right now? <laughs> yeah, well, he hears him first. <laughs> See, my dog's hearing first. <laughs> right. The dog approves, then yeah. they go to D they for a second. Paul's <laughs> up. I'm not, I got a hit. High Paul's, high Paul's. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do fifty years? I mean, wow, fifty years of music. Are you still passionate about the writing portion? Yeah. Fifty fifty years into I, this, I gig? still have ideas coming to me, you really? know. And uh, thank goodness, and I love working on those puzzles. You know, put start sure. finding the lyric, the hook, the, the then the music. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they all together at once, like somebody sent it to you. You know, uh, you got a lover. Was song I wrote probably. 20 minutes or so and I didn't rewrite it I just came out because something I wanted to express those are the kind of songs I love you know they don't happen too often wow usually I'm spending time rearranging words and absolutely and that's such an amazing thing that that great songwriters talk about I've listened to I'm kind of just a junkie when it comes to all the stories behind songs and great songs but i i've heard so many artists say you know i heard daryl hall say it a bunch of times you know like the song rich girl 10 minutes just it just comes to you and and it's like one of the biggest hits you know ever And, and and i guess for the i guess for people that don't write music that's that's a phenomenon that's that's crazy that people can come up yeah how how does it work like that but I, I did want to ask you to give the listeners kind of a a walk through maybe what a typical process is of writing a song for for you specifically. Does it start with a melody or does it start with the music? Does it start with the words? Walk the listeners through what a typical song yeah. writing process would be for Shake Russell. Yeah, well, the, you know, it starts with a, an idea of uh, something I've seen or something I've heard or read or. Something I go well. That, that sounds like a song, you know. That, and uh, I'll take it from. I have a t- bunch of titles with nothing underneath them, you know. 
and uh, that's the that's that started writing. I play my guitar all the time, turn the tape recorder, and just kind of go zone out. And I come up with music, you know, the pieces of music. I go, that'd be that's, I like that. Let's say I want to work on that. I want to work. And then when I'm putting together, I, I, I'm got okay. I'm gonna write a song here about uh, John Denver. So I got a. I did all kinds of research, made more notes than I needed, but just really got to know John Denver, my subject of the song. That's what I do whenever I saw. I do my homework. I do my research. Okay. When I wrote Traveling Texas, I, I was trying to find a perspective on, now, am I going to write a travel log or what am I going to do here? You know, a historical piece or something. You know, and I was like in uh, the book stop over in Alabama way back, 86, and um was looking through magazines of Texas, and there was this one cover that had all these little kids had drawn there. What do you? Th- what is Texas to you, kids? And they'd have an oil well, they'd have a oiler hamlet, you know, they'd have yeah, yeah. Longhorns, and and I thought that's what I, I want to get those images. I want a childlike kind of thing, you know. And so I went and read and, and just put things together, and then I start editing. Once I get a, a first draft done of the words, then I go looking for the music and. When I'm lucky, I, they've, they come together. You know, the meter of the lyric will help me on Traveling Texas or any song. And the ones I could say that I love and are blessings are the ones like you got a lover that they both come at the same time. I'm sitting playing this little thing, and I've got a title, and all of a sudden I'm feeling all this stuff, and I want to get it out into words, and I just lay it out there. I love that. I didn't have them too often, but mm-hmm. those are the, the best kind for me. They come quick and... And you don't have to spend days and weeks. Yeah. So it re- so it really starts with the lyrics. For yeah, you, you have to have something right? to write about. Okay. Like you know, somebody like I say a title or something, and then take that and start using your imagination and creating the story. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I've talked to others and I ask them that very question, songwriters, and a lot of times for them it's a melody that they hear in their head, and they it, it all starts with that melody, and then yeah. things get built around the melody. Yeah. Whereas you're the lyrical, you're the lyricist. Yeah. And other things wrap around the lyrics for you yeah. generally. I'm I'm sure that doesn't happen that way all the time, but as a general rule of thumb, yeah. that's that's generally the way it happens for you. Correct lyrics first. But like I say, you know, when you I'm jamming on music and I hear something, I, go, I like that shuffle or I like that little finger picking thing there. I'll record it and keep it, you know. And when I'm trying to work on my next project, I'll try these different pieces of music, see if, which one works the best with it. Now I noticed when you were playing a couple of the songs, you weren't using a pick. Not do, do you generally not use a pick at all, or are you? I used to use it all the time. You know, I played my ovation with the band. I, I always had my pick, and then when the COVID thing hit, and I started doing home uh, Zoom stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and different Zoom shows, I pulled my old, my old Martin out, which I didn't play too much because I favored my ovation because I just it's second nature to me. So I started playing the, the Martin and, and for, for a camera, you know, and I found out by doing that and finger-picking, I could do more intricate little things that I don't get in with the, with the strumming. Okay. So in the last year and a half, I've been doing a lot of finger-picking. Yesterday, I played Bernhardt with four-piece, and I wound up breaking my pick out. Oh, did you? Using it to be heard, you know. Sure. In a, a larger configuration. Yeah, I guess the pick the pick would make that a little more, yeah, pronounced, more pronounced, right? Yeah, yeah. that's but, interesting. That's, I, I never thought about that. I mean, I, I, of course, I I'll do 
like when I do your song deep in the West at my shows, I, I Travis pick that I, exactly. I finger pick it. Yeah. I don't use a pick for that, but then, you know, a lot of the other stuff that I do, I'm, I pick the pick up and yeah. I'm picking Depends along the with song it. And yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I, it's a treat for me to sit here and, and, and have you in the, the home studio uh, recording and I, I could sit and listen to the music all night, but I, you, talk, you spoke about travel in Texas, and I'd like for you to share for some of the listeners that are not familiar with the song, first of all, and then the story behind the song, um, yeah. because it was written for a staple show here. Uh, well, it was written, Texas, right? uh, it became part of the show, but it was written for the sesquicentennial celebration in 86. Channel 2 was doing a little video of people and places in Texas, and they wanted music behind it. So my friend Bruce Bryant, who's a patron of the arts for music. He did all these little low shows and live in concert series back in the late 70s and 80s on Channel 2. He said, you know, we want a song. And so I, like I said, I went and found a, a perspective. I'm going to write it like a childlike kind of, not nursery rhyme, but something very iconic where my lines are talking about big things, you know, and about Texas that everybody can relate to. So I worked on it and played it for uh, the first draft. And, and Ron Stone said, can you get the eyes of Texas in the line, one of the lyrics somewhere? And I said, well, yeah, sure. And I, I did, not thinking much about it other than you got to have that in a song about Texas, you know, the eyes of Texas. But then after it ran its course with the video for a year on Channel 2, Ron picked it up for his TV show, The Eyes of Texas. That's why he wanted me to put The Eyes of Texas okay. in the song. Mm-hmm. And it ran for 10 years every Saturday. They'd play my song, intro the show and, and outro the show. And uh, it was great exposure, just like the radio Absolutely. was in 75, yeah. Yeah. you know. And I, I, I tell this story, too. I'd go out and play in East Texas where I'd never been before, and nobody knew who I was or any of my songs. And somebody would come up, I don't know who you are, but I know that song, Ron Stone, Traveling <laughs> Texas. Yeah. The, you know, the power of TV. And sure. Would broadcasting. you Would you say that, was it uh, the radio exposure or the tv exposure that was more helpful to your career or were well, they, they kind of one in they the were hand in hand okay really. really okay yeah everything just like say the stars aligned everything was happening at the same time for me okay around 76 yeah 77. well i remember i was a young kid when that show was on but i do remember the show and it was one that i always enjoyed watching because you got to know about different places in texas Texas, right so would you mind playing that one for the listeners that would be a a super treat Uh, i like to say though uh also in a song um i tell the story too that i got the ride in the rodeo parade uh on the float for channel two okay and lip sync this song with, with jack saunders we were at the front of the float and they had the speakers playing the recording over and over and on a loop and we for about three hours we were just lip syncing <laughs> traveling texas by the end of it i was taking the lead breaks and jack was taking my vocals and fun. had fun with it huh it was. all right traveling texas for the late great ron stone traveling texas been riding for days Traveling Texas is an old cowboy's dream. Heading south to the valley in that old Spanish fame. Traveling Texas, these old cowboys sing. With the heart of a Mustang, it can never be tamed. Right an old blue northern 
across the panhandle plain. We're traveling Texas, beneath the moon and the sun. Traveling Texas, these highways roll on. On the death of a maverick in old hurricane South down by Houston moving out into space The eyes of Texas, the hearts and the hands Say welcome stranger, you know Texas means friend yeah. Where cotton is king Cattle is king, Willie is king, land of blue water, and lakes of gold. Yeah, what a great song, Shake. I, I appreciate you sharing that with the listeners. Uh, I, I, I did want to talk briefly about some of the accolades and how great you are, right? Because <laughs> I, I know you're not going to talk about yourself, so that, that's my job to do that. First of all, I, I guess the awards are, I mean, almost as extensive as the, as the discography is, but I'll, I'll give the listeners the cliff notes here. Multiple Entertainer of the Year Awards. A Founders Award, Best New Song, Cowboy Coffee, which I love, by the way. Thank it's you. always been one of my favorites uh, that you've done. Multiple honors for Vocal Group of the Year, Lifetime Achievement honors. D, you married a legend over here. You realize that, right? <laughs> 2016 inductee into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, two-time recipient of the Millionaire Award for, I think it was for Clint Black's recordings, one was right? For you got a lover, and one was for Put Yourself in My Shoes. Okay. And uh, what, what does the, it's, and it's not millionaire like in millions of dollars, but it's no. million A-I-R. What does that, what I mean, does that mean? How many times or more they played the song on the radio? Okay. Interesting. Okay. I wish it meant you made a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mind that. No, not, that uh, paying the bills doesn't hurt anybody, I don't think. Uh, now, you are also a four-time recipient of a BMI, of the BMI Writers Awards. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, Shoot, I was just happy when I received a ribbon at church camp for participation. And I mean, you you've got all this stuff going on. Congratulations! I mean, what a what a, what a great career. What do the accolades mean to you as an artist? In your own words, I mean, some people don't get too hung up on, and they don't care. What what do they mean to Shake Russell? Well, just to me, basically, it means that they remember me and they like what I'm doing. You know, and. and uh, because a lot of people don't get the, an award, you know, and they write songs their life and try it. When you do something, it's just like it just tells you you're on the right track and, and it, makes you, it makes you proud, you know, that, that other people want to give you that recognition. Sure. Well, and I ask um, some other guys were here uh, sitting in the same place you're sitting, and I asked them the same thing. They were, they're a, uh, 
a tribute band for Ozzy Osbourne and top shelf guys. I mean, top shelf musicians, and they they pay homage to Ozzy in the greatest way. And they've won a lot of these awards, and I ask them kind of the same question. And they say it's it's a huge honor when your peers are the ones that are voting for yes. you for these yeah. things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, critics can do that, but when your peers are doing it for you, it means so much more. It means that you're special to them, and yeah. uh, I'm like sure that you do. absolutely, absolutely. Now, you've written some songs that have become major hits for some big artists and we talked a little bit about that earlier uh you you had one called you've got a lover that ricky skaggs did and i think there's a you might have shared a story about that song i heard once and i don't know if you have a story about it how it climbed up the charts and and yeah (laughs) and uh and then i was going to also ask you if you'd share that story with the listeners and then maybe share the song as well that would be awesome yeah yeah well the uh in a nutshell, uh, that song I was playing at Kerrville Folk Festival, uh, and the night I was playing, Peter Rowan was playing. I found this out later from Ricky, because I said, how'd you get the song? He said, well, Peter Rowan brought it to me, he heard you play it, and he took it and rearranged it a little bit, Ricky did, modulated and all kinds of cool stuff, making it a more interesting song. And then, you know, he put it out, and all my, my people heard me do it for twenty uh, five years or so, after I'd written it, he said, oh, we like your version better. But, you know, he took it to the top of the charts. And it was like a very exciting time. I'd buy a Billboard magazine. I really wouldn't buy it. I'd go in the bookstore and just the magazine <laughs> section and kind of peek, you know, the country charts and see where it was this week. And we'd get up, you know, the top 40, top 20, top 10, top 5, and I'm getting so excited. You know, my, my mom says, you really are a songwriter, you know, your song's on the radio. It's going five, four, and up to three, up to two. I'm, you know, I've got the champagne ready to pop the cork when he hits number one. He goes number two, number two, number two, number two, for about four or five weeks in a row. It was at number two. And I kept waiting and never then it started going back down number four, number seven. And the number one song that whole summer was Islands in the Stream. Kenny and Dolly, right? right. And I always tell about it, I hate that song. <laughs> I don't really myself. It gets a laugh, you know. A great song, but it's not your favorite, right? No. Just for that for that reason. Well, a, a trivia question for you. Do you remember who wrote the song for Kenny and Dolly? Oh yeah. yeah. Mary Gibbs. Yeah. Great yeah. song. Well, some of the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BG. Yeah. I love Love them. I, I do too. I'm a huge BG fan. Yeah. Uh, and especially for the songwriting. I saw a project he's doing with different people doing his songs okay i want to see that oh yeah hear that. i'd love to see that that'll be a treat I hope they don't do islands in the stream they will though <laughs> yeah if you would share that one with the listeners a little live version of uh that song that would be super be awesome yeah i'd be happy to all right you gotta love her based on a true story They're all closing There's no place to go And the sun Won't show for hours Streets have all emptied And lovers They're sleeping They're dreaming of each other You've got a lover But it's not me can't love you 
like I can There will be others Yes, I understand Oh, they love me Like you can There's acres and acres All these heartbroken lovers I know We're not the first Sometimes it seems that it's just like some dream that you try hard to remember. You got a lover, but it's not me. He can't love you like I can. There will be others. Yes, I understand. Well, they love me like you can. Up in your boards. Clubs, they're all closing. You know, I was hoping that the wine it would see me over. Pull up my collar I walked into the night I went looking Looking for an answer You got a lover But it's not me He can't love you like I can There will be others Yes, I understand they love you like I can. One more time. You've got a lover, but it's not me. He can't love you like I can. There will be others, yes, I understand. But they love me like you. Nicely done there, Shake. Uh, I enjoyed that. Hopefully the, the listeners enjoyed that as well. You know, we were talking about hit songs that you'd written for other people. Earlier, we, we talked a little bit about Put Yourself in My Shoes and One More Payment by Clint Black, of course. I think there was You you Wouldn't Know Me by Miranda, Miranda Lambert. Lambert. Just recently, yeah. Yeah, and uh, was there... Um, Waylon did Deep in the West. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn Dawn Johnson did one of yeah. the songs, didn't she? I wrote with Clint. Okay. Our kind of love. Okay. Yeah. 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 Talk to the listeners a little bit about what's new and exciting coming up from the Shake Russell camp and, uh, you know, what, what you can share with us. Oh, you bet. Uh, yeah. Uh, the latest thing I've been working on since the first of the year is uh, a new song I just co written with Steve McGrew. Uh, Steve McGrew's a comedian. I met him on Facebook, and he reached out to me last summer and said, uh, you know, I went to school, high school in Houston, and I used to come here, you and Dana play, and on my bucket list is to write a song with you, you know. I, I said, well, well, we won't know until we try. What do you, 
you know, what do you want to write about? He goes, well, I was just, this morning, he goes, you know, the world's so messed up right now, you know, and back in the old days when I was in high school and we were listening to John Denver, he had such a positive and, uh, voice for the world, you know, and I really miss him, and we need somebody like that now. We need more of that going on in this world today. Mm-hmm. Well, so well, let's write it, you know, and so I, that was the genesis of it, and um, I worked on it for six months, found out more about I always loved John Denver, but I didn't know all that much about him. Mm-hmm. I found out how he's the worldwide, you know, the love that people, he has fan clubs all over the world, and started listening more closely to his music just to get a, a vibe, an idea, because uh, Steve, the co-writer, said, well, let's start the song with that Rocky Mountain High kind of thing, you know, that riff. Let's use that to start mm-hmm. the song. So I listened, learned how to play that riff, and, and I, or a facsimile of the riff, and uh, took it from there musically and kind of just put some of John Denver's kind of sounds in my mind, in mm-hmm. my ear, the kind of song he would write. So after I got it finished, I made a little uh, Facebook video to send to Steve, thinking it was only going to Steve. So... See, uh, to let him know this is where the song's at. You know, this is my first draft of the song. What do you think? And I, I didn't know it was going live. I was in my backyard playing it on the patio. All of a sudden, all these pe- hearts are popping up and people are saying, we love this song. We love John Denver. Oh, and we, wow. oh Shake, we love this. I go, okay, you know, and that's a good sign, you know. Yeah. But Steve, he heard it and played it for his friend John Macy, who's a, a big big producer's produced um he just did a thing with Guy Clark, a tribute album to Guy Clark, with all these people singing his song. He, gosh, who's he done? Dirt Band, he's done uh, Los Lobos, a, a bunch of different acts. I can't think of all of them. But he liked to hear the song, said, oh, I want to produce a song. I got to produce this song. I said, really? He, he goes, yeah, man, he loves it. He, is, you want to do it? And I said, yeah. And so I, I, they gave him that demo of me in the backyard, just flubbing through it. And he did a chart on it and put down, brought in this guitar player, Chris Lossinger, who plays with uh, Garth Brooks, and he, he plays in a lot of studio stuff. He laid down these two acoustic tracks of, uh, of the arrangement. And I, then back in February, D and I went down to John Macy, also has a home in um, down by Rockport, okay. in Texas, sure. yeah. Fulton Beach. He has a studio in his home there. So I drove down there, we drove down there, and, and I put a vocal on the two guitar tracks. He has since taken it back. I've only seen it on video. Uh, and he had a bass player come in, a fine studio bass player and um, percussionist. And he plays pedal steel, like John Macy does. Okay. He played with Murphy for a long, long time. And he's just one of the guys, he's a musician, you know. He's mm-hmm. not, he doesn't worry his achievements on his sleeve at all. Sure. He's one of the guys you very easy to talk to and know. And, and he, he um, anyway, so they're working on it now. Once he puts the pedal steel part on it, uh, it'll be finished. And we're going to start, they've already, um, oh, what do you call it? They've uh, gotten hold of the, uh, John Denver's wife, and the, his fan, fund that she heads foundation to see if they'd want to take the song and promote it on their website and in fact it's sure, a yeah. tribute to John Denver. So hopefully that's what's gonna happen. Once we get it finished, they'll they'll pick it up and wanna help promote it. And then if I'm lucky, some big shot, you know, who knows who might hear and go, Man, ah, that's a good song. I wanna I wanna do that song and have a hit with it. But how does that work? You you write a song of such and how do you get it exposed into the the 
the performer community for them to pick yeah. it up. Right? Well, you have to know somebody. Like okay. John Macy's very well connected. Connected in there. Okay. With all kinds of performers. And you need somebody like that, you know. And I've okay. always never had. I've never had that really connection to somebody. Go, oh, I'm gonna take his songs and really pitch them to these guys. But John um, has that connection, and he's he likes the song so much. I think when we get finished with it, it's gonna sound a monster recording production, you know. And who knows what might happen to it? But well, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that, right? Yeah. yeah. But if you're a young songwriter or something, you do a song, you want to get to George Strait or somebody, you probably know you. You have to have somebody to represent you, or yeah. it just gets in the outbend, you know. Yeah. With Waylon, that's what happened. You know, um, uh, the lady that was his secretary, office manager, uh, Mary Lou Hyatt. She was married to Walter Hyatt for Uncle Walt's band. Uh, I knew her from Austin in, in the, in the uh, '70s. She was a friend, and she got that job with Waylon, and she always loved Deep in the West. So she, she had a tape and put it in Waylon's box to listen to, because and. Uh, one day she said that Wedding came in, or Wedding said, he, I came in, I was saying, I need a ballad, you know, I need to finish my album up, I need a ballad. She goes, well, what about that song Deep in the West? He says, Deep in the what? He goes, I know, I under hear a song called Deep in the West. He goes, yeah, I gave it to you. So she went over and found it in the outbox you know, and played it for him again, and he, on the second listen, he said, oh, yeah, I, I want to do that song. Wow. So that's it was pretty cool to have... Um, Jesse Coulter and yeah, and then he, he and Jesse. Ten years later, he puts it out again with Jesse Coulter, his wife, making a duet out of it. They wow. do a little video of it. So that was, I mean, that was completely unexpected. I didn't. I knew the first version he did by himself was going to happen, but ten years later, I'm out walking my dog, and somebody calls me and says, "Hey, you know, he's putting it out again on another record, and he's got his wife singing with him." Yeah. So I said, wow. Cool. I learned some something interesting. I was talking to Fee Wable, the lead singer of a band called The Tubes uh, from the '80s. They were had, they had some smash hits on MTV back in the day, mm-hmm. and we were talking about people that write songs and then other artists that record them. And I was always under the impression that, look, for for example, if if you recorded Deep in the West, I would have to get rights from you to record that but it's my understanding that i don't need rights to record the song but if there's i guess the songwriter makes the royalties off of that not the performer that does does, am i I, i'm probably not saying uh, it quite right performer gets the mechanicals you know part of that whatever his contract is mechanicals are sales you know Mm -hmm. but the songwriters the singer, unless he has a spe- his Elvis or somebody, doesn't get a part of that, you know. Yeah. So is it every time Deep in the West is played by Waylon, you ha- you get mailbox it's money that in, comes it's in? It's logged in by BMI. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Every it's, quarter or so, I get a, okay some checks from them. Yeah. Different songs. Yeah, and the, and I had some buddies talking the other day about you know the royalty or the checks that they get from their listens on Spotify, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, they CD said baby. you know maybe yeah maybe I could buy a cheeseburger from time to time. Well, <laughs> you know, know. It's about what you it know, amounts to. Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. But uh, so we talked about that, and I guess I badgered you all evening about playing songs live, and you've been gracious enough to do that. But can you play the 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 one song yeah, that you were talking one. about, the John Denver yeah, I'd love tribute to. thing. I'd love uh, to. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you.
Little John Denver album on From my high school days Songs always lifted me Jet plane took me away There were poems and prayers and promises Everything in reach All that we believed in Trying to practice what John preached Well, I'm trapped here in the city I'll probably be here till I die When I look up, all I see Tall buildings block the sky I'm worried about the future Yeah, the world is getting rough Hear songs on the radio I always turn them up Wanna go back to the mountain the Rocky mountain high In a cabin on a hill My sweet lady by my side Singing skies and dancing water Cascading waterfall I wanna see what he saw When I hear his song Every time I hear his song Colorado on the grandma's feather bed those country roads that take me home where I can lay my head sunshine on my shoulders and a song for Annie too feels so good to be back home with you turn off your TV in fact just blow it up Every time I turn it on, I don't know to trust And I'm worried about the future, my world is getting rough And when I hear a song on the radio, I always turn them up I want to go back to the mountain, to the rocky mountain high In a cabin on a hill, my sweet lady by my side Singing skies and dancing water Cascading waterfall I want to see what he saw When I hear his song Every time I hear his song, yeah Every time I hear his song That was a uh, a wonderful tribute to to John Denver, and as you went through that song, I kind of got this this welling up in my eyes a little bit because he was such. I mean, he, 
John was so inspirational to me as an artist. I don't think he ever wrote a bad song. And they were always, like you mentioned earlier, always songs of happiness and encouragement and, and stuff that you, we don't hear that much anymore. You know what I mean? That those days seem to be long gone in the past, the, the happy, the happy stuff, you know, and, uh, what an untimely death, you know, it's been what, 20 some odd years now. It's time just goes by. It's amazing, you know, and, uh, a lot of the songs that you mentioned in there are, are songs that, that, shape me as a musician you know mm-hmm. so I'm, yeah. I'm sure that they did the same for you or you, yeah. you wouldn't have written yeah. such I a song right? voice you know, yeah his voice was so clear and yeah and had an amazing voice too I, yeah. I think i saw a video of him and johnny cash doing a duet before and it was nice to hear the nice baritone voice of johnny and then the nice tenor voice of of yeah. john they just they went really well together where can the listeners find you on social media if they want to buy music find out about shows news merchandise where can they find you yeah well i have my own web page i've had for a long time shakerussell.com but also we're on facebook that's we do a lot of uh, communication on facebook okay yeah do you do much with instagram at all or not really no okay. he takes care of my business so i'm not really sure but okay i don't think we do on instagram okay so uh, shakerussell.com mm-hmm. is okay. Yeah, and, and, my, and my music's available on CD Baby. They handle a lot of my stuff. Okay. My catalog. Okay. Perfect. A couple of a couple of just, I call them quick fire questions, but just simple answers. You don't have to elaborate any, on, on any one of them. Okay. But from your perspective, favorite songwriter of all time for of you? Of all time? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know that's tough being a songwriter well, you yourself, know, but does one stick out in your head? Well, you know, the obvious one for me, because influence, is Paul McCartney. I mean, because Paul McCartney sure. writes all kinds of songs, and I and I'd always loved that about the Beatles because they they would do one song that sounded completely different from the next, and any genre, you know. So he's my, you know, that's a, he's an easy pick. Yeah, but I love Jimmy Webb. I mean, Jimmy Webb's one of my favorite composers. I love Robbie Robertson. You know, Van Morrison, mm-hmm. uh, of course, um, Dylan, you know, uh, all the old folky guys, Tim yeah, Harden, yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of them that were big influences. Were you ever a big, uh, like a John Sebastian or Harry oh, yeah. Chapin fan? John, like John yeah. Sebastian, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I used to play some of his songs. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I liked, I liked his style and his voice and yeah. his songwriting. Yeah. Interesting. And the, the, the last one that I really have for you is, what advice would shake russell give to an up-and-coming musician that really wanted to make music their living like that's how they wanted to pay their mortgage what what advice would you as a guy that's been been around a long time and very established songwriter very respected songwriter what advice would you give them well just um to be persistent and to you know to do it if you're writing songs Write them, even if they're not that good. Keep writing. The more you write, the better they get. Just don't give up. If it's a passion, you won't give up. Something else comes along in your life. You can't do it any longer. You'll move on. But uh, musicians, you know, you got to find, well, I don't know. You just have to be, find a way to get it out there. And back in the old days, it was much harder. Nowadays, with the Internet and Facebook oh, yeah. and uh, YouTube, if you got something really good and you get it out there to the masses, you'll get... 10 million hits or something, you know, and sure. you're a, 
a star all of a sudden. Yes. People want to either sign you up or you can start your own thing. You don't need mm-hmm. a label anymore. No. no. If you got something really good that's unique and catchy, uh, you, you get, use the tools to get it out there, you know, and, and just uh, don't be discouraged, you know, when yeah. it's hard not to be sometimes. Yeah. But you, you have to dedicate your life to it and um, just keep at it. Yeah. Great advice from the master, Shake Russell. Thanks so much for taking the time to come to the studio, Shake. I know that you stay busy. I've loved the music over the years. Keep keep writing that music. Uh, Again, thank you for being here, D. Thank you for taking the time to to, uh, join Shake here. It was nice to meet you. I ask the listeners to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow Shake on all of his social media platforms uh including facebook and shakerussell.com i want to thank you guys again for tuning in and as a reminder you can find the show on facebook at backstage pass radio podcast on instagram at backstage pass radio twitter at backstage pass pc and on the website at backstage pass radio.com you guys stay safe and healthy and thank you again for tuning in to backstage pass radio Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Backstage Pass Radio. Make sure to follow Randy on Facebook and Instagram at Randy Halsey Music and on Twitter at R Halsey Music. Also make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on alerts for upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to share the link with a friend and tell them Backstage Pass Radio is the best show on the web for everything music. We'll see you next time right here on Backstage Pass Radio.